radical left has taken over the Democratic Party. Hello and welcome to Think Progressively, covering politics and all the other chaos life has to offer. This is episode 49, recorded on Thursday, September 16th from Milwaukee. I'm Joe. And I'm Jason. And on today's episode, we discuss Wisconsin's latest GOP candidate for governor, Rebecca Clayfish. But first, the headlines. The fact is that everything he's saying so far is simply a lie. I'm not here to call out his lies. Everybody knows he's a liar. On Tuesday, California had their recall election for Governor Gavin Newsom. And like the polls predicted, Newsom destroyed in the recall election. Hey, for once, 538 didn't let us down. No, it didn't. I did hear some pundits already trying to say, well, why were the polls so wrong last month? But we already talked about that last week, so it's really kind of old news now. Essentially, the polling was much closer because just the idea of recalling Gavin Newsom was such a foreign... Well, it it was not foreign, but unknown idea. And it it wasn't that unpopular, but yes. when it became clear that the winner of that recall election would be, be Larry, Larry Elder, Elder. <laughs> that pretty much motivated people to vote no. So during the recall, the first question that was asked was, should Governor Gavin Newsom be recalled? And that won on the nose with a 63.9% to a 36.1% margin. On the nose. Huh? A very, very close race. <laughs> Almost 30 points. Now, granted, that is actually supposed to get a little bit closer, but we're still expecting kind of like a 20 to 25 point margin at the end of all this there is supposed to be a little bit of a red shift actually because apparently many republicans voted by mail in california fraud (laughs) well let's talk about that because the night before the election all i know is if you have mail-in ballots and you're not done counting by the time the polls close fraud exactly but the night before the election leading republican set to replace gavin newsom if the recall went through larry elder claimed voter fraud and quote shenanigans before the election even before the election elder's campaign went even so far in developing and publishing a website to track california voter fraud to bring forth to the california courts Somewhere, not a lot of action on those websites are taking place. But I think this does show, Jason, that this is now the Republicans' playbook. Yes, if they lose, it's going to be due to election fraud. No matter what. It's invalid. And we're lucky with this one because it's such a big margin. But now imagine what's going to be with some of these very close races that are going to happen in 2022. Are we really going to have many of these elections just thrown out as fraud because Republicans don't like them anymore? Is that is that just what That's we're doing now? That's their goal. That's why they're changing all of the election laws. Oh, my God goodness but at least in this scenario with california dems came out in flying colors mostly blue see what i did there and voted for gavin newsom to stay in i don't know if you can hear me rolling my eyes but (laughs) now i i don't know if you saw this and i have to apologize for everyone because i didn't verify it i did see a couple of hosts today doing a side-by-side comparison map with the map of the voting layouts and the partisan layouts for the recall election and then the actual covid hotspots of california right now and it's almost like an identical match that's going to be a problem moving forward for the gop is that unfortunately a lot well fortunately unfortunately depends on if you're related to any of these people or not a lot of the covid deaths at least post vaccine are coming out of their voter base and we've talked about that previously that that's going to be an issue but we see it somewhat here i think one interesting aspect of this is even in traditionally republican Republican areas of California, Larry Elder did not do that well. No, he didn't. And he ran on a very pro-Trump. That was an extremist platform. Like right. This, yeah, right. Yeah, like an extreme rights. I'm just like Trump. And there were moderates who ran during the recall as well, and they got demolished by Elder, which also shows that when it comes time for the partisan primaries, the Trump candidate, even in California, is going to win out. But in general election, maybe not so much. I don't know about the more moderate areas, certainly like Wisconsin, a swing state. I hope it plays out the same way, but that might be a little different compared to even a more conservative area of California, like Orange County. We can hope that trend holds up, though. We can. I mean, there are places like in Orange County, I think, with growing number of Latino voters that is showing that may trend even more Republican. But even then, it's going to be a very slow, if any at all, process. But good news is good news. So take the win, guys. The Senate is safe for now. Next up, we have a story from the New York Times. We have some interesting census data showing that the official poverty rate went up in 
2020, but when accounting for government aid programs, it actually went down. So you're telling me that government helped people? Yeah, that government aid can actually work to end poverty? No way. What? All those welfare queens. But I think this, again, is just evidence to show that these types of social programs, when invested in properly and when distributed towards the people, can make real significant difference. And it's certainly important to note that this is during one of the largest economic collapses, basically, than we've seen since the Great Depression. Yeah. Due to COVID, I think it was something like 12 million people lost their jobs during this time. And we had a reduction in the poverty rate as long as you account for government aid programs. A lot of that was due to direct payments that went out and unemployment insurance that was increased and extended. And the thing is, this is, we're talking about 2020 when we actually had a Republican president, Mm -hmm. but they can't take any credit for it because they're constantly pushing against it and saying we need to end these programs. Well, and I remember when we were having these discussions last year and the Democrats were bringing forth these proposals and constantly we were talking about how the Republican side were just underfunding the heck out of these proposals. And then we're even talking about how Trump was going to get upset and was not going to sign the bill if he couldn't put his physical name on the damn checks, like just that type of stuff. So thank your Democratic legislators for this one because they fought for this. Is one of the few things that Trump had to fight against the Republicans for. Right. Because he knew that it would be popular to send people money. Who would have guessed? Well, and it's popular because it works as we have right here in the data. The data also shows that median household income dropped 2.9% during that time. Does it account for why? Well, it's what we just talked about. 13.7 I was gonna million. Say, is it because of unemployment? Yes. Uh, okay. 13.7 million fewer people worked full time. Yeah. Okay. And of course, what we also saw during that same time, median earnings among people who were still working actually went up. Now that's interesting. I think Jeff Bezos himself could account for a good chunk of that. Well, and we saw this too, where you had investors and owners and CEOs were actually gaining more money afterwards too, and actually giving themselves raises. We had stories about that last year. So Mm -hmm. this actually does make sense. So as always, inequality rose during this time, which is why we need the government to actually do something about it. Instead, we have conservatives and Republicans trying to end all of these programs that are actually helping people stay out of poverty. You get a bootstrap. You get a bootstrap. <laughs> you get a bootstrap. I don't think they keep saying that they know that the whole idea of pulling yourself up by no, your bootstrap. No, I don't think they do. It's actually meant to be an insult or right. Like it's, it's making it, fun of it. It's ridiculous and it knows it's ridiculous. Yes. That's the whole point of it. But yes. they seem to think it's a real thing that you can do. If they had awareness, Jason, <laughs> It's literally there to be like, oh, how stupid that idea is because you can't actually do that. (laughs) And they're like, yep, that's what you need to do. So now let's criticize the government. Now we just praise them all. According to an NPR story, the federal government has been selling flood-prone homes to unsuspecting buyers through the Housing and Urban Development Program. So kind of the main findings from this article. Homes that were sold by HUD between January of 2017 and August of 2020 are in federally designated flood zones at almost 75 times the rate of all homes sold nationwide during that period. Now, Grant, we do need to clarify that these are generally foreclosures that are sold. That is how the government gets these. Yes. And most banks will not resell homes that are in this category because they don't resell very well. But the biggest problem is that the government does not have any regulation that forces them to disclose that these homes are in flood zones and that you'll need to pay for very expensive flood insurance. Well, and that's what made me really angry by reading this article was just the complete lack of transparency that home buyers would buy this. And now granted, these are usually more vulnerable people who are buying these homes that they have to because they can get at a cheaper rate. And they're generally in lower income areas as well. Correct. But the fact that, and I think according to the article, yeah, right here, according to the article, you can get more information about the risk of flooding and more information about the cost of flood insurance from a private seller than you would from the Housing for Urban Development Program. More regulation. 
against private sellers than there is for HUD. That's which insane. Change. That's ridiculous. You remember who was in charge of HUD from uh, January 2017 <laughs> until August of 2020? It was an expert of the highest pristine, who I also think believed that the pyramids were grain silos. Correct. Sleepy Ben Carson. And also, a lot of this is increasing due to climate change. And when you don't believe that climate change is real, there's not much incentive to actually do something about this and change the laws. But now, hopefully, with a different administration and different focus and a better grasp of reality, they will look into this and actually update some of these federal regulations and start disclosing this to people. And maybe, I don't know, just get rid of some of these houses that are in floodplains instead of reselling them to unsuspecting buyers. And I will include this from HUD spokesperson Michael Burns, who said that the HUD homes are disproportionately located in these flood zones is because that the agency does not choose which homes they sell. It just goes on which homes are foreclosed, like you said before, and then which ones won't actually sell because of the market. And because these homes are in these flood zones, they just have a less chance of getting sold on the market by itself. That's why HUD usually picks them up to begin with. But they don't actually have to resell them to people. Right. They can just get rid of them. So, and I, I want make, but I do want to make that very clear here, which is, at least for me, Jace, you can argue with me if you want, but my big thing is, isn't necessarily that they have these homes to begin with. It's the fact that they, like you said, the decisions are making after they are trying to resell these homes, not including any transparent policies or guidelines for home buyers, completely throwing people under the bus when it comes to actually purchasing these homes who are completely vulnerable to begin with and just continue that endless circle of poverty more and more and more when they don't have to do that. That's what pisses me off about this whole thing. Certainly seems to be going against the entire idea of housing and urban development when you're not disclosing major issues with homes and then selling them to people who are now stuck with a huge hassle and an expense that they did not account for. Well, and then let's look at this in the lens of redlining and racial or systemic oppression of people of color. We already talked about how there are communities of color who are just absolutely destroyed because of lack of funding because of redlining laws from a few decades ago. Now imagine the government who's trying to get you out of that system again because you are in a destroyed community from the government and then they sell you a home that's in a flood-prone area that now gets destroyed in either a hurricane or any type of flash flood because whatever climate change that may happen and you're just left to deal with the damage on your own. Or even you're just stuck paying way more for flood insurance than you accounted for. Yeah, exactly. To begin with. So like this isn't helping anybody. And the fact that I account for, what was it, 75%? Or no, it was There's 70- 75 times more likely. Yeah, thank you. To sell a house in that condition than a private seller. That's insane. It. The numbers, like as far as number of homes they sold, the biggest was 20%, one-fifth of homes sold by HUD in Louisiana. Although I I, I guess a a lot of the homes in Louisiana are in floodplains, I would assume. Uh, In Florida, it was 12%. New Jersey, 7%. In comparison, they had records from Zillow. I'm not sure how accurate that's going to be. That only 0.1% or less of all homes sold in those states by other sellers, by everyone, you know, put together, are in flood zones. So that's quite a difference. If it's 0.1% altogether, but 20% of the homes sold by HUD. That's unacceptable. And as we said, they're generally in lower income areas being sold to lower income people because they're buying these houses specifically from HUD programs and they're getting stuck with these flood prone homes that require much more maintenance and upkeep because you probably have flooding in the spring or at least seasonal flooding and these high insurance costs. So yes, hopefully something changes there. We could not expect change for the previous four years, but now that we have an administration that at least admits that climate change is real and that systemic racism and the effects of that system are real, we can hopefully do something about it. And to finish up headlines, there was a new Quinnipiac poll that shows that nearly 7 in 10 of Americans say the recent rise in COVID-19 deaths were preventable. And now that the Supreme Court is a new all-time low for its approval rating. Can everybody tell this is a Joe article? It's about polling. What do you want? This is good stuff, all right? <laughs> <laughs> this is good Polling stuff. data. That's always a Joe article. I hate you so much. <laughs> oh, whatever you're reading a list of just data percentages of people <laughs> like that's that's not me. What do you what do you want from me, man? <laughs> 
Why don't you read us this polling data, Joe? I hate you so much. Well, at a rate of 68 to 24%, Americans say that recent COVID-19 deaths in the U.S. were preventable, which is hopefully somewhat decent news. I don't know how bad it's going to be for actually people doing anything about it, but at least it's something. We have almost 70% of actually saying that it was their fault. <laughs> or do you think it's more of an actual, I don't know. Like there can they, be they, a lot they, of reasons why you think they get their just COVID deaths are preventable. Sure. And it's not necessarily because we didn't do enough to stop the spread of COVID. There can be a lot of other reasons why people might think that. So hard for me to really say without breaking it down a little bit. Breaking it down by party, Democrats were at 89%, which seems to make sense to me. Independents were at 69% and Republicans were at 48%, which I find rather interesting. And then a slight majority of Americans, 51 to 48%, disapprove of Biden's plan to mandate COVID vaccines, which is what we talked about last week. But we can just tell that's going to be a hot button issue for a while now. As that one is very polarized, the Republicans disapprove at 84%, independents at 56%, and Democrats at only 10%, 89% approve. So it's almost exactly the opposite between Republicans and Democrats, as but, probably expected. But now this is why I want to talk about this poll, Jason. Because <laughs> you love reading poll numbers. I, I actually really do. According to Quinnipiac, among registered voters, the Supreme Court received its lowest approval rating at 37% with a 50% disapproval rating and then 13% not offering any opinions. This is the worst job approval rating since they started asking this question back in 2004. And it's a huge drop from last year when they asked it when the Supreme Court received a 52% approval rating and a 37% disapproval rating. So literally, they're like switching. I really do wish we had data for 2000, though, when the Supreme oh, Court yeah. decided the presidential election. Right. Roughly one third, 34% of Americans think the Supreme Court is too conservative. Roughly another third think the Supreme Court is about correct where they should be. And about 19% say they think the Supreme Court is far too liberal. I think that's Amy Coney Barrett's family. <laughs> far too liberal. This is the most extreme conservative Supreme Court we've had in probably almost 100 years, if not the entire history of the SCOTUS. 13% had no opinion. I, I'm guessing it's actually probably higher than 13%. Sure. But now I want I want to ask you about this, Jason. What do you think this actually means for how people see the Supreme Court in the future? Well, they're in the news a lot, they which I, I think is what would drive any kind of polling numbers, because if the media is not talking about the Supreme Court outside of legal scholarship. I don't think too many people are really paying attention. And it's always about the big controversial cases when they do talk about it. So I think obviously this is coming out of mostly the big appointments that we saw during the Trump administration. I don't know when this polling was done, if this would have been including the recent abortion, non-ruling, shadow docket, whatever. That could be a part of it. Obviously, if you've listening to this show, you know our opinion that, yes, it's very much too conservative. It doesn't match the opinions of the general populace at all. It's all Federalist Society judges that are incredibly conservative, way more conservative than the average American. Making abortion illegal is not a popular opinion, but is very popular among this Supreme Court. No, and also as a heads up, they conducted the survey from September 10th to the 13th. So it definitely does include yes, that it does. Time so frame. extremely recent survey results. So yeah, I think it's a, a direct result of that. I mean, the the Supreme Court has had not only these big fights about who should be on it and who's stealing Supreme Court seats and not voting on the president's nomination, as well as these recent shadow docket decisions that they're doing in a way that's never been done in the history of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. It's good. I, I wish there would be something that this would mean. They're not going to run for re-election. Maybe it's enough pressure to actually put term limits. Maybe, or even hack the court. But I do think that is a good reflection that people are even paying attention more to the Supreme Court than before. Where nowadays, I think we're seeing it less as we should view 
viewed the court as calling balls and strikes, but more so of these are chess moves in the political realm. It's the way conservatives have seen the Supreme Court. Right. And now Democrats are catching up to it finally. And it concerns me as well because, I mean, as someone who often tries to defend institutions for this country, it really makes me upset that our highest court is the joke that it is. And that's what makes it to where when you have other institutions who are getting these low approval ratings, for example, like I think like the CDC had some pretty bad approval ratings back um, last year as well. I would willing to defend that because it was just people being stupid and being anti-science morons. With this, I can't really defend SCOTUS. I'm sorry. I, mean, I don't know if it's a partisan thing or what, but this is just not what Supreme Court justices have ever done before in a very bad way. They refuse to defend the Constitution. But not even just that. They're literally destroying it in the process. Yeah, that's, it, it, I mean, that's their They're tearing job. up and throwing it out. I don't know if you saw it too, but even Amy Coney Barrett in backlash to the ruling for the Texas abortion bill, she even said, well, I'm not here to say what is or what shouldn't be law. I'm just here to basically say what should or shouldn't be constitutional. That's just what my job is. I don't let my feelings get in the way. Nonsense. And constitutionality determines whether things should or should not be law. So that sentence is just nonsensical. But even if that was the case, that means she would have stayed or she would have voted to stay the Texas law, which she didn't do because she doesn't care about constitutionality. She doesn't care about precedent. Gorsuch doesn't care about precedent. Kavanaugh doesn't care about precedent. Ugh, it's bad, but at least other people are seeing it. Is that the highlight of this thing? Maybe. Can I take that away as a positive? Sure, you done saying numbers? Yeah, I am. Let's move on to our main topic of the day. Thought it was interesting. (laughs) Thought you guys would want to hear about it. Polling matters. Whatever. I'm going to go and read some Monmouth polls or something. (laughs) Go go back to 538 in my room. That was really a productive segment, wasn't it? It's hard to get any word in with this clown. So our main story today, it's going to be a little Wisconsin-centric, but I do think it is relevant for the entire country. Because Wisconsin's the best state in the country. I agree. (laughs) It's a reflection of... The same thing that's happening everywhere. Yes. What just happened in California with Larry Elder, his politics are very close. And I think it's what we'll see coming up. So next year, Wisconsin has a governor race and the presumptive Republican frontrunner is the former lieutenant governor under Scott Walker, Rebecca Clayfish. Not Clefish, apparently. Even though it's spelled like it should be Clefish. Everyone says Clayfish. So, so are we. And the reason why we're talking about Rebecca is because she officially just announced her campaign last week. So what we want to do is tell you a little bit about her, what she's going to do, what you're going to expect from her, and maybe even give you some ammunition. So when your crazy conservative friends, family, or whatever tries to talk to you and tell you that Rebecca Clayfish isn't that bad, you can point them back to this and say, nope, she's actually really terrible. But let's get started a little bit about her. Rebecca Clayfish was actually born in Pontiac, Michigan, not a Wisconsin native, who lived a very boring childhood in Michigan. Later on, her family moved to Ohio, where she actually competed and won the Miss Ohio Teen Pageant in 1994. So she actually did also participate in the Miss Teen USA pageant. Yep, she did. Makes me wonder if she ever bumped into future (laughs) President Donald Trump. I think he bought those pageants a couple years later, um, where he is accused by five different women of barging into the dressing room during the Miss Teen USA pageant while girls, teenage girls, were getting dressed and has admitted to doing that with the Miss USA pageant as like some kind of benefit of owning the pageant. (laughs) So just, you know, struck me as she's such a big fan of Donald Trump. I wonder if they ever crossed paths, you know, while she was an underage girl and he was and still is a pervert. Well, she never she never placed in the national competition, so she probably wasn't pretty enough for for him. She later graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison and worked as a journalist. She eventually became a news anchor in Milwaukee until 2004, where she was also a contributor for the Charlie Sykes program, a local radio show in Milwaukee. And for those who are not Milwaukee-centric, Charlie Sykes was probably like the most known conservative political radio host in the area for like, what, two decades? At least. Like He's the- certainly responsible for Scott Walker's political career. Right. So what was like, I think he was around like the 90. I mean, he still is around, but he is he probably even if you don't live in Milwaukee, 
you might have seen him. He's a frequent contributor to MSNBC of yeah. all things because he's kind of a reformed. He's a never conservative. Yeah, he hates Donald Trump, even though I think he's still kind of a conservative. But the whole Trump thing has kind of pushed him more. And I think he's getting he gets traction on the left because he has such a long career. Well, he's a rational Republican now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's the guy that basically coined the term rhino. Yeah, him and and uh, Mark Belling are other local host and they've had a lot of influence on wisconsin politics they have like a hugely outsized amount of influence he's super conservative and everyone that's ever been in the like morning to afternoon spot on our largest news station which is not supposed to be you know they don't market themselves as a conservative station just like a standard oh we're just the news here in wisconsin (laughs) they're nothing but conservative hugely conservative they play rush limbaugh mark levin all that garbage and they've never i've never heard anybody really hold them accountable for the way they've destroyed wisconsin politics but they really really have and charlie sykes was a huge part of that so it always kind of makes me a little sick when i see him on msnbc <laughs> you know talking like, like, like he's a moderate or something. right yeah like he's the he's the adult right <laughs> Well, Cleefish got her start in politics by running for lieutenant governor in 2010, ultimately winning a three-way primary. I heard that Scott Walker's administration did not like her and did not want her to win that primary. (laughs) Some of the quotes I saw were that she was radioactive and that they didn't know how anyone could take her seriously. It's actually even funnier because we'll get to this a little bit later. Her own uncle said that she's less qualified than Sarah Palin, (laughs) but she did win nonetheless with Scott Walker. And then along with Scott Walker, Clayfish faced a recall election in 2012. Both her and Walker, unfortunately, won. And I will admit, Jason, I actually voted for Walker and Clayfish in this recall election. So did I. It's okay to change us, people. We <laughs> learn and grow and develop over time. Don't cancel us. It was a... Don't take our progressive cards away. It was not a very popular recall, honestly, no. just because it was due to him attacking the... It was the Act Teachers 10. Union. Yeah, it was... Which we should do an old episode about, by the way, because we just went over the 10 year anniversary of Act 10 as well. So it was basically he did the thing that he campaigned on. Yep. And people hate it. Yeah. And that's it's hard to base a recall election on that when it's like, yeah, no, literally it sucks. Don't get me wrong. But he just did the thing that people voted for him to do. So that's uh, that was always going to be a tough Right. And it backfired because all it did is allow him to fundraise. Mm-hmm. He had tons of fundraising dollars for it, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he got so much that he even or he yeah. got so much popular that he even tried to run for president. Yes, that is what uh, luckily what uh, unfortunately I mean, he made a fool of himself. Yeah, he was he was the first one to drop out, I believe, yeah. was the least popular GOP candidate for yeah. president. But yeah, that's the history is she was his lieutenant governor. But she served the majority of the decade, eventually losing to current Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes in 2018. And there are a couple of fun stories of her trying to attack Mandela for apparently kneeling during the national anthem and stuff, and then her just getting called out horrendously for spreading misinformation. No, so, she is a Republican. All right. After losing, she was appointed as the Executive Director of the Women's Suffrage Centennial Commission in D.C. because she clearly cares so much about equality and the right to vote. I guarantee if she was born 100 years earlier, she would have been against women getting the right to vote i'm sure almost positive yes if her views were exactly the same no she would be like that she's against political protests yes she'd be like all these violent thugs in our streets trying to get the right to vote and then finally after her short time as executive director of that literally i mean like 10 months and then she was already gone rebecca took a job with the associated builders and contractors a u.s trade association representing and this is the important part non-union construction industry because of course unions are very bad so clearly she's just in it for the corporations yes and not the workers she's a republican and let's talk about some of her policy positions that she used to hold on same-sex marriage she was quoted saying at what point are we going to be okay marrying inanimate objects can i marry this table or this you know clock can we marry dogs this is ridiculous biblically again i'm going to go right back to my fundamental christian beliefs marriage is between one man and one woman which her gay uncle who was very close to her growing up and has a male partner was very surprised to hear that because 
because again they were very close she never said anything about it to him but you know political career gotta be an extremist gotta go for that fundamental christian base on climate change she released an entire video called is it cold or is it just me and i will have to say i'm gonna link this in the show notes if there's anything that's cringier than rebecca clayfish on video it's rebecca clayfish in 2009 on video where she literally made the argument of oh it's cold outside it's cold outside there's snow on the ground but the government's trying to tell us that our breath is poisonous I, I'm not kidding. Like, it's really, it's the worst ever. On religion, well, you may have heard it already from the same-sex marriage thing. She's an extreme Christian evangelical. Are you shocked? shocked. Me? Yeah. Yes. I'm <laughs> extremely shocked that someone running for office as a Republican <laughs> is a conservative Christian evangelical. It's very shocking. Good. I Even it. Donald Trump. Donald <laughs> Trump. Ran as an evangelical. Yes. Actually, when running for lieutenant governor, Clayfish sent out a flyer with the title, quote, I am not ashamed. The flyer said, quote, will faith play a part in the decisions our elected officials make? As lieutenant governor, Rebecca Clayfish plans on making decisions the same way she does today, relying on the wisdom and faith she has in Jesus. Real separation of church and state. Thank God she's going to pray for us to solve all our problems because it's worked so well before. In response to criticism to the flyer, her spokesperson said, if we don't all get involved in electing Christians, who will represent our values in Madison? I'm asking you to take our sister in Christ and work to get her elected to a position whereby she will be able to influence many people using the Lord's strength, direction, and guidance. The importance that Christians can actually have in selecting conservative, moral leaders is enormous. You know, all I hear when people start going through that rigmarole is like the Charlie Brown when I'm the parents Christian. talk. Yeah, I'm wah, Christian. Wah, 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 wah. Wah, wah. Pander, 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 pander. Pander. Glory, Jesus, God, holy, wah, 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 wah. And again, just kind of goes to show, now I get that it may be different for our listeners or some of our listeners, but for me and Jason here, we are not religious by any means. So the idea of having any type of extremist Christian nationalist as a governor or any elected leader is horrifying to us. And it should be to you, even if you are religious, if you're not exactly her denomination and have her beliefs, then you don't matter. Again, because it's not about being fair it's about gaining power especially people that want to legislate their religion that's horrible i don't care what religion it is that's not the way our laws are written nor should they be that's we're a country that is secular we're set apart from religion and government well and we just talked about how bad the scotus is doing right now and it's because we have super extremist christians on the bench (laughs) that's why it's so bad right now well let's move on i bet she was a big fan of barack obama oh totally in fact she liked Obama so much that she called the Affordable Care Act a literal abomination. I believe that's a biblical term. Yeah, it is. And she didn't use it on an actual group of people this time. What if Obama married a dog? I mean, that's just Satan magic. (laughs) And of course, she's on the record praising Trump. In an interview with PBS Wisconsin about the 2020 RNC, now we talked about that before, about how insane that convention actually was, she said this, I would say the Americans, or America First agenda, is about prioritizing our national interests. One of the things the president spoke about last night that I think America frankly needed a good reminder of is how he has prioritized America on a global scale. I think people start to forget in the midst of some of the cultural dissents that we've seen and the coronavirus and COVID-19 healthcare crisis that al-Baghdadi and Soleimani are dead and that we have the USMCA. That was a ride. She really blew but, through topics. What we really need to, to remember about COVID-19 no, no, no. is that al-Baghdadi and Soleimani right. are dead. Like, so her whole point is, well, you know, there are literally riots and protests on a global scale right now because of the shit that Trump has been doing. And we're at a worldwide pandemic. But don't forget. We replaced NAFTA with a different acronym. Right. <laughs> Oh, my God. And then, of course, later in the interview, when asked about why fact checkers, including the Washington Post, described the speeches as a, quote, fire hose of false claims and a tsunami of untruths, Clayfish responded with, well, I think you have to look at the actual data and the actual statistics. The speakers who are on the RNC stage, just like the speakers on the DNC stage, have facts and data that they use in order to build their argument for election. And I'm a former journalist, a recovering journalist. We, as journalists, choose how we represent facts, what things 
make it into the first sentence? What things make it into the headline? And I think as rhetoric soars, sometimes facts are there, but when the journalists choose to put them through a filter, they determine that with a couple of tweaks, things aren't exactly the same. I've seen that time and time again on PolitiFact. I got such an urge to go do something else while you were reading all of that. It's so rambling and devoid of point. It is, but you also need to understand that the point is also to spread literal misinformation. I mean, this is the alternative facts case. That's what this is in a much longer form. I was a journalist. She was a news anchor for a Milwaukee station. Well, she was actually a journalist for a short time. Yeah, I know. But what's interesting is, and we'll talk about this when we get through her website as well. She talks about how she's a recovering journalist a lot right now. Because Trump hates the media and she's trying to court his base and they've been told over and over and over again that the media hate america and that they're the enemies of america so she's got to say well i'm a journalist but not really but yeah but i'm not really a journalist but i do like according to this answer even rebecca clayfish by her own admission was spreading misinformation (laughs) while she was a journalist she continues to do so no but i'm saying like as a journalist she was supposedly spreading a ton of misinformation because she just chose to yeah if you go to that link about climate change that's in the show notes you'll hear it (laughs) that was her being a journalist and lying journalist she was also the keynote speaker at a 2014 concerned women of america fundraiser which they are a hyper religious pro-life lobbying group that all they do is write pro-life legislation and lobby it to congress their mission from their website is concerned women for america protects and promotes biblical values and constitutional principles through prayer, education, and advocacy. So that is the type of person that Rebecca Clayfish is. Also, she pushes herself as a, I'm the pro-business politician. She was on that, the construction board. She has said many, many times, even though, again, she is not popular in the Walker administration and they dispute all of this, but she claims to have basically handled most of the business outreach under Scott Walker. She claims the... Uh, Wisconsin is open for business slogan. Oh, sure. Was hers. And she also takes credit for the Foxconn deal. She does. She claims that she was crucial to that deal. And in 2019, after it was clear that that was a gigantic boondoggle, that the state spent billions of dollars and got nothing except a giant empty factory out of Foxconn, her quote was, I do think Foxconn was a good deal for the state of Wisconsin. This is very high-tech manufacturing. A lot of Internet of Things technology and artificial intelligence are involved in this project. Artificial intelligence? You don't see that in a lot of traditional Wisconsin companies. You're right. I don't see a lot of artificial intelligence in a lot of Wisconsin companies. And Internet of Things. Like, that's... that's a lot of early 2000s a lot of internet of things technology yeah jeez there's a lot to run against here she just sure. sounds like your racist, super religious aunt that just tries to get you to church all day long. Well, and she talked, like you you said before, when she was interviewed about the RNC and she used the America First, you know, that's the racist dog whistle tag that Marjorie Taylor Greene yeah. was going to make into a new political party. Well, sorry, and that's what I was going to say too before we moved on, I totally forgot, is when it comes to Rebecca Clayfish and I'm sure actually even other Republicans as well, you need to understand that they are just as bad as Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and a lot of the other crazies out there. What makes them different is that they are just much more long-winded in how they describe those same crazy ideas and make them sound boring. So like Jason almost did was tune it out. She's certainly very good at that. For someone who was a newscaster, she is not a engaging speaker at all. And then a year ago, in September 2020, she founded the 1848 Project. And according to her website, it's a group... Get it, guys? The 1848 Project. Sound familiar? 
And on their website, it says, The 1848 Project is pioneering a better tomorrow. We believe when good people listen well and form policy strategies based on actual needs and desires of real people, not political pandering. And if you're wondering, 1848 was the year Wisconsin was founded yes, as a state. Thank you. Great things can happen. Working alongside people in communities across the state, we will develop an agenda that ensures all of our Wisconsin families share in a brighter future. So that's what it says it's going to do. What it actually is, is a tax-free campaign fund and lobbying group for her. For anyone wondering why we're saying it's a tax-free campaign fund, let me, I just want to read real quick. This is from their website, so certainly not taking anything out of context. I want to read the mission of the 1848 Project. Let's do it. It's a three-step comprehensive strategy. The first is listening and learning. By traveling the state and meeting people where they are in their own workplaces, communities, and activities, we engage people in their most comfortable, confident environments. The 1848 Project will proactively solicit Wisconsinites' biggest challenges and struggles, hopes and dreams, and their thoughts on how to create a brighter future for the state. So they're going to travel around the state listening to people and talking to them about what they want out of life. Shake hands. Just like you would do if you were running for political office. The next part is policy identification. Wisconsin already has some of the finest conservative think tanks in America. There are other Midwestern policy institutions that focus on heartland issues and still others across the country and world that offer in-depth research and policy solutions for some of the challenges faced by Wisconsin's people. I'm getting bored while I'm reading this. Is it bad that I can just picture her just <laughs> typing all this up? Oh, this is going to be great. They're going to they're gonna think I'm so smart. The goal of the 1848 Project is not to replicate Replicate research or duplicate policy development efforts. It is to find the best evidence-based strategies to solve problems and reach Wisconsinites' most aspirational goals. Now I'm getting bored, man. The 1848 Project will identify Wisconsinites' most pressing concerns and hopes by listening and learning. Which was you the said first on the one. last one, Jesus. <laughs> now you're padding your word count. So, so the second part is they're going to come up with policy, just like you would do if you were a politician. But you're also going to listen and learn in the second part, <laughs> but also listen and learn again in the first part. And and I am also skipping. Like I'm, There's more text, but I'm not reading it all. So the third one is the forward agenda, which we're going to talk a lot about in a minute, which is while the 1848 project will be continuously engaging in input solicitation after the forward agenda is built, the listening and learning efforts of the project will develop a third and robust purpose will develop a third robust purpose. <laughs> communicating <laughs> communicating the agenda and building support for this conservative plan for wisconsin's future the 1848 project will seek approval and enthusiasm for the agenda among traditional conservative republican and right-leaning groups as well as wisconsin's workers families grassroots leaders and particular interest communities i what cannot the hell is that even mean? i cannot get over the fact that they literally said hey what are the pillars of your organization <laughs> oh no we're working on it <laughs> yeah this is supposed to be their big third thing and it's like yeah we're just gonna push our agenda is literally what that is no 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 according to this, it says they're gonna figure out their agenda <laughs> but it's i mean it says and then push it build support for their plan so it's literally <laughs> We're going to listen to people. We're going to come up with our policy, and, and then we're going to push, push an that agenda. policy. And that's that's a charity? No, that is your campaign. Yep. Well, let's actually talk about this forward agenda. So this was actually just recently released, even though the website still, for some reason, says that it's not released yet, which is also absolutely fantastic. So I just took, it's a 16-page agenda. If you guys remember it from the 7076 report episode that we did, it reads a lot like that, except about Wisconsin. Wisconsin-esque issues. So what I did is I just took some of the highlights. We're not going to go through like we did in that 1776 report, but just want to give you a little bit about what they want for this supposed forward agenda. First and foremost, a lot of tough on crime policies and so many more cops. Oh 
my God. Rebecca Clayfish is going to throw cops everywhere and throw everyone in jail. She's been pushing on the Black Lives Matters protests as like this huge deal. Remember the unrest in Kenosha after the police paralyzed a man for seemingly no apparent reason on video. And that was fine. And of course, people were upset about that. She will throw you all in jail. Yep. If you pick up a protest sign or a defund the police sign or a Black Lives Matter sign and Rebecca Clayfish is the governor of Wisconsin, somebody from the National Guard will likely be shooting at you or throwing you in the back of an unmarked van to take you off to a re-education camp. Well, and we saw even in their in her launch video that she wants to send our National Guard to the southern border. It's insane. For education. She wants to, and I quote, raise standards. Yeah, she mentioned that a few times. Just raising standards, what like you do, but she wants to start specifically with civics education. And I will say, civics education on its own doesn't sound too bad. I want more young people to learn actually how government works, because clearly a lot of people do not know how the government works today, as we just saw from the last 2020 election. However, there's actually a recent bill that's going on right now in the Wisconsin legislature that I had to look through and research on for my job. And it starts out just like that, where it's saying, hey, we want students to learn about civics education and learn about comparative government styles and things like that. And then learn about the superiority of the freedom that we experience in the United States. So it's literally conservative propaganda. Yes. But it doesn't stop there. She's also going to push for school choice programs, a.k.a. government funding of private religious schools. Yep. And critical race theory. Of course, got to bring that up. Protecting the integrity of youth athletics. You want to guess what that means? Banning trans students from participating. Exactly. Specifically trans women. And this is their education platform. Again, when it comes to the actual education, it's just raise standards. But when it comes to culture war nonsense and BS, they get very specific. So you can clearly tell what they care about. She loves the culture war stuff. Yes. Election integrity. Um, there was a bunch of stuff in there that I don't want to get into, but long story short, the worst one that I saw was she wants to shift responsibility for election rules from the Wisconsin Elections Commission to the legislator. The who is heavily mandered, heavily Republican will never become Democratic because of the fact that it's one of the most, if not the most, gerrymandered legislatures in the country. Despite the fact that Democratic candidates get more votes, they lose seats every election. So the fact that they're literally pushing for an overhaul of this and taking power away from the Wisconsin Elections Commission, which is a board that we literally created to make as fair and balanced elections as possible. And give it over to the partisan conservative legislature. Should tell you everything you need to know. Again, it's not about helping Wisconsinites at all. But of course, she has a section on there also on protecting Wisconsin values. So what are those values? I'll tell you. She wants to enforce antitrust laws against big tech. Didn't know her clayfish was woke. <laughs> yeah, it's something that uh, progressives will actually agree on, but not because we think that Facebook is censoring our free speech when we post about how vaccines are making our cousin's friend's testicles <laughs> enlarge and making them impotent. Really, I heard it. My Nick. friend's brother's cousin said so. Got a Nicki Minaj reference for you? Yeah. yeah topical. <laughs> All over it. Well, and good segue into our next point. She also wants to create a right to sue for victims of viewpoint discrimination by big tech. That's all they care about. They, they're not worried How would you that, sue? that big tech has too much market control and companies shouldn't have a monopoly. They're just worried that they can't lie online. And, and not face consequences. Yeah, and not be censored by these companies and that, you know, Donald Trump lost his Facebook account. How would you, what would you even sue for on this thing? What rights are you taking away? My free speech. Oh my God. By a private company. Right. She goes on by saying she wants to protect student free speech, stop the possibility of church closers during a pandemic. Religious freedom. Wisconsin values, apparently. Ensure robust protection for conscience in a pandemic. I don't know what that means. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> Ensure robust protection for conscience in a pandemic. I think that is... Like people who are anti-vax? Yeah, I think that's like you can protect your choice to spread a pandemic this during a so pandemic. Much, uh, this is so much BS. Why I, won't anyone think of the virus, Joe? Oh my God. Seriously, if you have any conservative friends or family, just walk them through about how much pandering nonsense this actually is. There's no substance to any of this. But I keep going. She wants to enact the Born Alive Infant Protection Act. Of course, you know, pro I, Is that basically the Texas law? I assume. 
You know what? I didn't even care to look. Or it will be now. You know she's you know she's pro life. I don't even care. Yeah. And then my favorite: appoint originalist judges in the mold of Clarence Thomas and Amy Coney Barrett to extreme Christian judges who are by far some of the worst SCOTUS judges or justices that we have ever had. And Clarence Thomas is probably the worst. Yes, literally. Supreme Court justice. And, and he's not the most extreme, and, but he's definitely the worst. And that's not even our opinion. Multiple bar associations and other legal sources have all rated Clarence Thomas as vastly unqualified for his seat on the U.S. Supreme Court. Amy Coney Barrett is way better than Clarence Thomas, but she still favored terribly when she was scored. Yeah, I think with her, they they just wanted young woman to replace well young extremist right wing woman yeah that's all well was. obviously but. and then finally she wants to expand rural broadband wanted to end on a positive note <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to be heavily just favoring the telecom companies just give them a ton of money and you know let them charge whatever they want to those customers it's not going to be something that's actually favoring consumers so we both suffered through her announcement video oh my goodness it's bad it's real bad okay am i the only one who thinks like her eyes just like glare through my non-existent soul when i'm watching her on camera she has very she has like the demon stare eyes my god they're very bright like blue very like yeah they they definitely are unsettling but let's talk about what she had to say in the video it's kind of funny through the whole first part of she's at some business some envelope making business like yay what a great industry and everybody wants to get to the culture war stuff like she starts talking about her family and why she decided to run and you know what she's looking to accomplish and the crowd is just dead and she's terrible (laughs) at humor she's really really bad so when she's trying to tell funny anecdotes and stuff it's just like there's silence But I want to point out some contradictions because she literally like in the same sentence, in the same breath, contradicted herself multiple times. Let me hear it. So first one, she said that she wasn't popular when she was running for office because she was thought of as a political outsider, despite the fact that, you know, she's been lieutenant governor of Wisconsin for eight years and her husband was in the state assembly for 14 years and she was on a very political radio show, but she's a political outsider because that's what Donald Trump ran on and it was popular. So makes sense. Ignore history, but she's a political outsider. All right. What else we got? Also, Tony Evers failed to get unemployment checks out to people who lost their jobs due to COVID. Yes, that's true. I mean, it happened all across the country, not just in Wisconsin. I think the unemployment system was not ready for the number of claims, probably because there's a lot of bureaucracy and checks in place to make sure that people are not creating false claims. Like, I wonder who the party is that designed the system right. that way. I said, mm. Usually the, an unemployment agency is not prepared for an entire economic like stop (laughs) so fair enough but literally in the same sentence she also complained that our wisconsin governor tony evers is paying employees to stay home and hurting (laughs) small businesses So they didn't get unemployment. We got way too much unemployment. And then they got too much on it. Like you she literally said both of those things at the same time. She also said that we need to control what is taught in schools and ban critical race theory. You'll hear this talking point a lot. And big, I, it took a big cheer from the crowd. That's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for the right. culture war stuff. But when you hear Republicans talk about transparency in schools, you need to understand this is what that's the dog whistle for now. It's just a dog whistle for trying to ban CRT and other random as we talked about things. not right. actually a thing in grade school they just mean anything teaching race equality or the history of racism in the United States right but they're what, calling it all critical race theory correct but what I'm saying is be on the lookout for people try to say well what's so bad about transparency in public schools this is what they're actually trying to do it's not about and transparency in parents schools at all never controlled the curriculum in schools you never had parents be being like, I don't like multiplication. Stop teaching that. Well, and, it's not how it works. And even when we talked to Michael Johnson about it, I also just heard that in his school district, they're trying to have open records requests now for um, 
the textbooks that maintain like all textbooks online at all times because of this type of crap. And then they'll complain that the schools are taking up too much funding. Right. And then literally the next thing out of her mouth after saying that the government needs to control what is taught in schools and ban critical race theory again, meaning teaching about the history of racism in the United States. Yeah. Big government talk. The next thing out of her mouth, we don't need a nanny state telling us what to do. Oh. As she transitioned into talking about vaccines. Well, it's good to know that she's pro-choice. <laughs> oh, you said about that vaccine. Vaccines. Oh, yeah, sorry. okay. Sorry, I thought you were going to say the small government person was going to be about small government. I was wrong. And I found that just interesting that she could literally, it, she didn't even pace those things apart. One thing, then the opposite. Next thing, the opposite of that thing. When she got to the culture war stuff, and especially when she said banning critical race theory, oh man, that crowd loved it. She 100% embraced Donald Trump, said that when people compare her to Donald Trump, she says good, that she he was the greatest president. She's clearly trying to ride on his popularity among worldwide voters. Which is an interesting strategy because it did not do well last time. And it has consistently shown to not do well for people who have actually said that they're the Trumpy candidate. So, so we'll see. Yeah. There was also the obligatory Bible verse reading. Because, you know, church and state separation. I get it. And I do have a question. Yes, I'm ready. Do we know for sure that she's not Michelle Bachman? Because when we were doing <laughs> research for this, I tried to find I could not find a picture of I, them together. <laughs> and not only are her policies very much the same, they look like I think Michelle Bachman's a little bit older, <laughs> but they look like the same person like i anybody in the audience google michelle bachman and google rebecca clayfish and tell me that you can tell them apart she's just going back and forth between minnesota and wisconsin (laughs) it's just her just throws a wig on or something does her makeup differently i don't know it's close enough to the same accent. She can get away with it. Oh, that's awful. And then Clayfish also put out a launch video, aside from that press conference, where she literally did the entire Trump campaign thing, where it was fire and rioting and saying that there's chaos in the streets. Very similar to, uh, if you remember, Jason, the um, the Trump ads during the campaign, which like the 911 call and stuff like that. It was like, you know, hello, I, I'm not here right now because we defunded the police or whatever. Right. We can't it. come to the phone. Yeah. yeah. And so, she definitely brought those things the riots in kenosha and defund the police up yeah and she went through everything including this kitchen sink in this like two minute video where and it made me so you only watched a two minute video you bastard (laughs) mine was like 40 minutes long oh my god I'm so sorry. I definitely I included the, the straw. I included the link in the script. That is your fault, sir. <laughs> and it makes me so angry that she had the audacity to walk through Kenosha saying about how bad Kenosha is. Probably the first time she's been in Kenosha. Right, exactly. Having the racist agenda that she has right now because we just talked about it. Oh, it makes me so frustrated. And it actually, fun fact about this video is I posted this video in my class discussion when we were, because we were talking about how political ads use negative imagery to evoke certain emotions and one of the students that responded to my post said i don't know why but watching this video really made me feel like i was in a chick-fil-a it's incredible i've never been in a chick-fil-a i've been uh when they used to just be in like mall food courts i've been like near one (laughs) but i've never been inside of it when they like kind of came back as this chicken sandwich fast food restaurant i never oh you're not missing much my friend and then finally she has a little bit on her website we already talked about everything so i'm not gonna go through any of our don't go to it yeah don't go to it or actually what you could do is google rebecca clayfish's website and then click on her ad like click on the sponsor link over and over and over again so she has to keep paying for it (laughs) and what you could do is ping her website like (laughs) over and over and over again with every computer that you can find you know no reason (laughs) I, i hear that's fun I did want to include a couple of quotes from it that I just found kind of amusing. First quote, during her time in office, Clayfish became known as a conservative fighter and was the first lieutenant governor in American history to survive a recall. Yeah, she was recalled and didn't get voted out. Right. (laughs) Starting out strong. Again, this is her website. Also, a cancer survivor, Rebecca is well known for her pro-life record. Also, an avid turkey hunter, she is known for strong support for the Second Amendment. I just want to throw in here... You want to know how I know that God isn't real? 
because Chadwick Boseman died of colon cancer, but Rebecca Clayfish survived. That's it. You're getting canceled. <laughs> I'm oh. just saying, don't take Black Panther. Take dummy I, Lieutenant I Governor. Just, I, I don't know. Is it just me or is it? am I the one that just finds it hilarious that she says, for some reason, I, a cancer survivor, Rebecca's well known for her pro-life record, and then Amy goes right into, also, I'm a super big hunter, she, and, she, <laughs> and I love shooting and killing things. She uses it for her political... She said during the video that I had to watch, the 40-minute long <laughs> one, that they literally had to take out half her guts, but she still has more guts than Tony Evers. Oh, that's adorable. How many people do you think it took to make that line? <laughs> How many conservative- That's her humor. How many? And that was probably her best line that entire video. It was bad. How many? Um, what was a nation-leading conservative think tanks in Wisconsin had to make that <laughs> lineup for her? That's Rebecca Clayfish. That's probably going to be the person running against Governor Tony Evers in Wisconsin. However, we can't leave you guys off with just that. We can't. Nope, because I have one last piece of information for you. Like Jason said, she's married to Joel Clayfish, who was a state rep for Oconomowoc and the surrounding areas from 2005 to 2019. And if you want like a horror show of like a family that's going to kidnap you and keep you in their basement that guy looks for like, like two years. like a serial killer that lives underneath you. Oh my God, totally. Basement stairs. He looks like a guy that unironically takes ivermectin. He's a creepy dude. He, and that was like even at that event, right? Which is like this big TV there she's yep. announcing her everybody's dressed up yep he still looked like that he looked like a schlub like that's that's his dressing up <laughs> but just to give you a little fun story to finish it all off apparently joel cleefish rebecca's husband got into a little trouble in 2017 where he spoke in front of an extremist right-wing anti-government group called the three percenters where they posed with him took pictures and shows well many people think they're white power signs which i mean they may as well be but actually it's their three percent extremist logo but this group the three percenters got a little attention in 2017 for their involvement in the charlottesville riots and that's the riots for those of you who don't know where trump said well there's good people on both sides where there was literal neo-nazis and yes. someone was killed you want to guess what side the three percenters were on so i don't really care if it was a white person or not it is a crazy group it's so a christian nationalist which is pretty much shorthand for white supremacy group they're huge gun nuts i'm sure there was quite a few of them there on january 6th oh i'm sure i'm almost positive about that so for the love of everything do what you can to make sure that this family is not elected as our governor i do not want this woman as our governor i do not want this guy as our first husband screw both these people he's already been the second husband (laughs) or second gentleman right thank you i I couldn't remember what yeah second gentleman so get out there go tell everyone how these two crazy nut jobs should never be in elective office and tell them to vote for Tony Evers. Thank you for listening. We hope to see you in the next episode. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at ThinkProPod. You can email us at ThinkProPod at gmail.com. And remember, when in doubt, think progressively. If we don't get all involved in electing Christians, who will represent our values in Madison? I'm asking. Do that again. You oh. said if we don't get all involved. Oh, sorry. Instead of if we don't all get involved. If we don't get all involved in electing Christians, who will represent us in Madison? You, you did the same thing. No, again. I said all get. No, you said if we don't get all involved. Are you f-ing kidding me? <laughs> if we don't get. F- <laughs> <laughs> if we don't get all. F- <laughs> if we don't all get involved. Yeah. Jesus Christ. That just rolls off my tongue. She's married to Joel Cleefish, who Clay was fish. Damn it. She was married to her. She's married to Joel Cleefish. Damn it. She's, Honestly, I don't give a shit. Mispronounce his name. I don't care. She's married to Joel Cleefish. <laughs> she's married to Joel Clayfish. I'm editing it and putting Cleefish. No, in don't you do it. I just did it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>